0: What I have been doing in the last few weeks is an enormous amount of recovery work, really feeling my feelings, not just soothing them, but feeling them first. I just learned in the last week that I have probably been bypassing my feelings by soothing them first much of the time. I know that I have done a lot of feeling work, and I really get that feelings dissipate rather quickly once you feel them and it's the resistance to them that is so much worse than the feeling. So I do know that, which means I do know that I have done some feeling work, but I think especially lately, I have done a lot more bypassing. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, LLC, where I coach people on how to develop healthy boundaries. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on social media. And if you do, please be sure to tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 203 Questions from Listeners, Responses from Barb, Part 3. This is the last episode of answering questions that came from folks for my 200th episode. There are only two questions left, but before I get into them, I want to tell you a little bit about what has been going on for me in terms of my own recovery lately. Briefly, a whole bunch of weird money things have been happening to me since December And I decided to write to my inner child to ask about that a few weeks ago. And some really cool stuff came out of it. However, the interesting thing is the next morning, I had this cascade of memories and realizations almost in order, whereby I realized that every single fucking job I have ever had until I got into recovery involved some kind of trauma. Or some really serious drama. In other words, the way that I've gotten money for most of my life has included trauma. The message being to get money, you must endure trauma. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail about all that, but this has been an enormous insight. I mentioned in episodes 193 and 194 that in the ACA program, which is adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, There is a list of 14 survival traits of an adult child that is affectionately referred to as the laundry list. Well, there also happens to be something called the workplace laundry list in the ACA Big Red Book, and that list has 24 items on it. Just like the regular laundry list, there's an inventory worksheet you can do to help understand how we adopted these traits. That is, what experiences led us to developing these traits. I decided that I was going to take all those memories that I recalled and work them through the workplace laundry list worksheet. And what came out of that was one, my top three workplace laundry list traits, which are number one, authority figures scare us. We're afraid when we have to talk to them. I know for me, it's mostly about not trusting authority figures, which actually is pretty scary because they have authority. Uh, Number two, I have a very high tolerance for workplace dysfunction. And number three, I get extremely upset with criticism. And these really map onto the laundry list traits that were important for me when I did the regular laundry list inventory. Anyway, in addition to seeing those patterns, There were 16 resentments that came up when I did that inventory that had not previously come up in the five times that I have done the 12 steps before. Actually, that's not true. Two of the people on the resentments list had come up previously. One of them was my dad. I definitely covered him on my resentments inventories in the past, but the most egregious thing that he ever did to me was not on there. Here's what happened. Well, actually, by the way, trigger warning, this won't be graphic, but it is violent. So if that's going to cause you to be triggered, you might want to skip ahead a couple of minutes. When I was 17 and again, when I was 18, my dad tried to strangle me and that never came up on um, those anger and resentment inventories. In ACA, we have 12 inventories for step four because it's mostly about what happened to you when you were growing up as opposed to what you did as in the AA fourth step inventory. So my father strangling me did come up in my ACA trauma inventory, but it didn't come up in my resentment inventory in either one of my programs. And this is just more evidence of the fucking denial that is in place when we grow up in a dysfunctional family. I was talking with a fellow traveler yesterday morning about this and telling her this isn't the only denial about those incidents. It wasn't until I was 28 years old that I realized that that was abuse. And the therapist had to tell me that was abuse. I did not understand that it was abuse until she told me that she said, even if it happens just one time, it's abuse. And I just didn't get that. And I actually thought I deserved it. I believed I deserved it until the therapist said to me, your parents' job is to protect you from harm, not to harm you. Now, the reason this particular resentment came up in my workplace laundry list worksheet is because I worked for my dad at his pharmacy, and the night we had the argument where he tried to strangle me, he also fired me from working at the store. He had told me at the beginning of my senior year that if I didn't get on the honor roll, I'd be fired from the store, grounded for life, and not able to see my boyfriend or any of my friends. The precipitating event to the argument was that I had gotten a D in physics and I burned my report card because I didn't want him to see the comment on the report card, which was not working up to potential, which was the worst thing for my dad. When he found out about the D and that I burned my report card, he lost his shit and he fired me from working at the store right before he tried to strangle me. So my first real job was terminated by my dad strangling me. Okay, so back to the present day. What I have been doing in the last few weeks is an enormous amount of recovery work, really feeling my feelings, not just soothing them, but feeling them first. I just learned in the last week, that I have probably been bypassing my feelings by soothing them first much of the time. I know that I have done a lot of feeling work, and I really get that feelings dissipate rather quickly once you feel them, and it's the resistance to them that is so much worse than the feeling. So I do know that, which means I do know that I have done some feeling work, but I think especially lately, I have done a lot more bypassing. And what that has meant for me this past week is literally laying on the floor and just feeling. And I felt like I had to lay on the floor because there was no distraction and no way around it. All of this is tied to money, and money is about our security. And for those of you in recovery who have done the AA fourth step inventory, you know that when our security is threatened, we are very likely to act out of our defects of character. Now, I don't think I've been doing that because I have tools now that I'm in recovery. I have been reaching out a lot to people in recovery, including asking for prayers. I have been staying super close to my higher power And I have been doing a lot more conscious contact with my inner child and inner teenager. And I've been making sure that I'm playing and having fun. But I want you to know that this time right now for me is almost as difficult as the beginning of recovery. But the reason it's not as difficult is that I have all these tools now that I didn't have before. And I have people and I actually reach out to them. And I also have a relationship with a higher power such that I ask for God's will, and I turn things over, and I absolutely know to the core of my being that God has got my back, and that something good is going to come out of all this. It doesn't matter how shitty things look, God can make good out of anything. Okay. So all that being said, now I'm going to transition into answering the last two questions from listeners that came in because of my 200th episode, and these are from Eileen and Russ. So here goes. Eileen says, what are some things to consider when telling one's story in a meeting? How can healthy boundaries be used to recover from an addiction to excitement? So for those of you who don't know, addiction to excitement is one of the laundry list traits in ACA. It doesn't mean that you are a daredevil or you like roller coasters, which is what I thought it meant. It means that you are used to having a system that is jacked up all the time. You're used to living in fight or flight mode. Sometimes it's called addiction to fear. Sometimes it's called addiction to chaos. So that's what she's talking about. So, telling your story depends on where you are in your recovery, but the formula is to share your experience, strength, and hope, which is basically saying what life was like before recovery, what happened when you got into recovery, and what it's like now. The more time you have in recovery, the more time you're going to spend on what it's like now. If you're pretty new to recovery, you're probably going to spend more time on what it was like before recovery because that's what you have in terms of your experience. And sharing that helps other people identify with you. Sharing what it was like is really important, especially if there are newcomers in the room, so they can see, oh, hey, this person is like me. What happened is like what did I learn in recovery that I didn't know before? How was I able to change my attitudes, thinking, and behavior as a result of recovery? And then what it's like now is, how is your life different now than it was before recovery? So that's the gist of it. And then your second question, how can we use healthy boundaries to recover from an addiction to excitement? So if we grew up in a dysfunctional family then we were likely in fight or flight mode all the time and that is the feeling of being activated all the time it feels normal it feels like this is what life is like so when we start to have a measure of peace and serenity it feels foreign and we might even think this is boring or when we start to hang around or date people who are calm and peaceful and predictable and stable We might feel like they're boring because it's so foreign to us. I don't think I've ever thought of the relationship between boundaries and excitement before. So, what occurs to me to say is to decide where and when to set boundaries has to do with what I value. So, when I'm setting boundaries in alignment with my values, that gives me peace. It brings me into my integrity. If you know there are certain things that you do that fuel that addiction to excitement and you want to overcome them, then you want to be setting boundaries around those specific things. As I just mentioned in one of the previous questions about taking a nightly inventory, I think that is a really good way to keep an eye on that as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that doing a nightly inventory is a boundary. It puts a boundary around my day. I don't finish my day without doing an inventory. And holding myself to that standard is also a boundary. So I would call this a boundary of self-containment. These are the types of boundaries for things that you need to stop doing or things you need to contain. For example, I stay away from toxic environments and toxic people. I don't rescue, fix, and save people, which are ways I use boundaries to overcome my addiction to excitement. And then there's a question from Ross. Ross says, out of creating boundaries, what have you seen change as far as those relationships that stayed in your life and newer ones that came in out of that? unsure if I'm asking this, the best likely will have more. And this is the best I can think of right now. So some of the relationships that stayed in my life improved because they were more in alignment with the way that I decided I wanted to be now. But to be honest with you, Ross, I've lost quite a number of relationships. And it's not like there was a falling out. It's more that they really just sort of faded away. And that's because for many of the relationships I had, I did the bulk of reaching out. I basically chased people so they would be my friends. And when I stopped chasing people, I stopped seeing them because I'd been the one doing all of the work to make sure we stayed connected. And that we got together regularly. In terms of the new relationships that came into my life, oh, they are so much more fulfilling. I'm not like afraid all the time that they're gonna leave me. And the way I think of it is, I want to spend time with people who want to spend time with me. I get to be my full new self with people in a way that I just wasn't capable of before. So that is an enormous relief. It's like I can relax in my life now in a way that I never did before. And I wasn't even aware that I wasn't relaxing in my life. I think of it as being comfortable in my own skin now. All right, that is it for all of the questions from listeners. Again, thank you to all of you so much for your support of my 200 episodes. I sincerely hope you'll stick around and listen to the next 200 episodes. I am especially grateful for all those who entered the contest. And I'm so excited for Sarah who won. We already started our coaching and I felt enormously helpful of her the very first time we met. And I'm so excited to see the changes she's making as a result of our work together was recently reminded by a friend that when I first started recovery, I didn't feel lovable. I almost can't believe that I used to feel that way and that I kind of forgot something so profound because I truly love myself now and I want that for everybody. If you don't love yourself, there's literally nothing that can make up for that. I created something exclusively for my private clients since many of them don't love themselves. And I've now opened up my private vault to share it with up to 10 people individually. It's called the Self-Love Sprint. You'll grow to love yourself and truly feel worthy. So you can stop saying yes when you really wanna say no. Stop neglecting yourself and putting everyone else first. Stop saying all kinds of nasty shit to yourself. That is not what people who love themselves and feel deserving do. You'll stop being afraid that others will think that you're selfish for taking time to care for yourself. This is also for you if you don't really know who you are because you've always been such a fucking chameleon. Go to higherpowercc.com slash lovesprint Remember, I'm only offering 10 of these, so don't wait. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or... If you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higherpowercoaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is possible. Thanks for listening.